It is 4th of July weekend, and uh, we want to talk briefly about the freedom for which uh, so many have fought and served and paid a great price. Uh, Congress created the Continental Army on June 14th of 1775, and John Adams nominated George Washington to serve as the Army's Commander-in-Chief. There were over 230 skirmishes and battles fought during the American Revolution. Freedom must be fought for. The war for independence, when viewed in proportion to contemporary population wealth, destroyed more lives and property than any American war since then, with the exception of the Civil War. It also lasted longer than all American wars, except for the Vietnam conflict. To put it in perspective, in 1776, the population of what we would consider the United States, the 13 colonies, was about 2.5 million people. That is currently the population of greater Cincinnati today. So we talk about about 70,000 estimated casualties in that war. Proportionally, that'd be as though we had 9 million casualties in in a war like that today. Beyond that, uh, in those lives, uh, 17,000 died from disease, many of those as prisoners of war on British uh, prison ships in the New York Harbor. Uh, And there were up to 25,000 additional people injured uh, in the Revolutionary War in that conflict. And so we know clearly as a people that freedom is not free. Uh, that freedom takes hard work and freedom must be protected, preserved, and fought for. And truly, we're grateful to all of you who have served and fought for our freedoms and those who are currently doing that. And we have a responsibility as well to fight and work for our freedom in a spiritual dimension. And while I'm going to pivot in a moment to talk about freedom in a broader context than simply a national realm, uh, this Wednesday night is our first Wednesday of the month prayer service. And uh, we're going to be praying for our nation. And we have a special guest who will be with us. Uh, Congressman Mike Turner is going to be with us. And I asked him if he would share with us what are the biggest prayer requests that we can be focusing on as a, as a citizenry, as a country. And so he'll be sharing those needs with us during our, our prayer service starting at 7 o'clock here in the West Auditorium. And uh, with that perspective in mind, Uh, We are the land of the free and the home of the brave. And over this summer, back in Memorial Day, we talked about the fact that extraordinary Jesus gives us freedom. And we're staying with our theme of extraordinary Jesus this weekend in light of the battle fought for our freedom. We want to talk about extraordinary Jesus gives us strength for the fight. Say for the fight. Because uh, freedom uh, must be fought for. And that's not just freedom in a civil way, but it's in our lives. And so we want to go ahead and look at the life of Jesus and look at the things we learned from how he did that. And if you have the app, you can follow along with us. Uh, The first thought is that Jesus fought temptation. I won't ask for a show of hands because I know every hand would go up. If we're honest, all of us face temptation. And in Matthew chapter 4, there is what could be seen as a troubling verse, uh, depending on how you look at it. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, when we take the 23rd Psalm that says that he guides us in paths of righteousness for his namesake, or we know the Bible says that the steps of the righteous are ordered of him, uh, then you say, wow, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. To those of you in a wilderness season of life, we can take comfort in that. Uh, that we have an accuser and Satan wants to tell us that if things aren't right, there must be something wrong. 
And yet the next uh, slide here is a photograph of uh, the, the wilderness in Israel. It took it in 2019 when I was there on a trip with our daughter. And you can see how desolate and harsh that wilderness looks. And Jesus was led into the wilderness for 40 days. And he battled temptation. That's another thing to keep in mind uh, to realize when we look at that is that he was led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted. There are times of testing in your life. And sometimes we pray for God to end it, get me out of it, whatever, and he doesn't. And it's because he actually led us to it. Because times of testing are meant to refine us. Times of testing are meant to take that testing and turn into a testimony. And so what Jesus went through was a time of testing that, the, that God allowed to happen to him. The Holy Spirit led him to that. And then he was victorious in that. And so as, as we look at the temptations that Satan brought against Jesus, and how many of you know, if, if Satan tempted Jesus, he's going to take his best shot at you too. All right? I mean, he's that, that arrogant. He tempted Jesus to try to get him to serve himself. All right, turn these stones into bread. He tempted Jesus to, to abuse his power and his privilege. Go ahead and jump off this building and see what God does. And he tempted him to give up his faith. Bow down and worship me and I'll give you everything you see. And it's interesting because Jesus, later in that same Gospel of Matthew, he says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a person give in exchange for his soul? Satan asked that question of Jesus early on. So what will you trade for your soul, for who you are, for God's calling in your life? Now, Jesus did not yield to temptation. Paul tells us in Corinthians that he was tempted in every way like we are, yet he was without sin. So in the wilderness, he emerged victorious. So how did he do that? How did Jesus fight temptation? Say he used Scripture. Now, it's interesting that Satan came at Jesus quoting Scripture. And you have to be careful because he, he, Satan's good at using truth and just a little bit of a lie. Because lie-coded truth uh, looks a lot like the truth. Or he would quote a Scripture out of context. And wow, if you quote a Scripture out of context, you can be in big trouble. So he would quote a scripture and then Jesus fought that temptation with quoting the Bible as well and interpreting the Bible to fight that circumstance. And so if Jesus used scripture to fight temptation, what should we use to fight temptation? Scripture, okay? So uh, last night we were debriefing on the message and one of the guys said, yeah, well, you know, nowadays they say there's an app for that, right? You ever heard that saying? Okay. Well, there's an app for that. Well, when it comes to temptation, would you say there's a verse for that? And so we're going to drill that thought home. And so I'm going to talk about a temptation. And when I point to you, you're going to say, okay, like a fourth of you are saying it, all right? Now, I can tell, all right? Because you can't talk when your mouth does this. So let's say there's a verse for that. Unless, of course, you never get tempted, then I guess you can just sit there. All right? So let's do this, okay? So what if you're tempted for lust? Yeah, in fact, there's a bunch of verses for that. Go to the book of Proverbs, and he'll talk about how foolish it is to kind of make your way by the, the sexual temptation. In those days, it was an adulterous house. But boy, it, it, you can go to websites nowadays. So there, there are verses to help you when you memorize that verse. Whatever temptation you're tempted with, and it's popping in your mind right now. Yeah, there's, okay, good. Man, now you're real. Whew. Okay, don't say it right now, okay? So but whatever you're tempted with, Find a verse or two, write it down, put it someplace, memorize it, and then talk to yourself about that temptation with that verse. So, if you're tempted to greed, 
If you're tempted to greed. Oh, yeah, right, good. So, for instance, uh, you go to Philippians 4, and Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content. In every circumstance, big, small, I have learned. And he says, and how do I do that? I, have, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So if you are tempted to discontentment and greed, got to have more, hate people who have more, there's a verse for that. If you're tempted to fear. Yeah, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. If you are tempted to be insecure. And you might be going, tempted to be insecure? We talked about last night and the team was doing debrief and they said, I never thought about insecurity being a temptation. But think about it. Satan loves it when you're insecure. When you're insecure, do you know how hard it is, to, how much harder it is to walk by faith and not by sight when you doubt yourself? When you are insecure about who you are, you do not have the confidence that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There is so much that falls down if you yield to insecurity. And so Satan wants to tempt you in that and, and make you insecure and question yourself, question who you are in God. And boy, when you feel insecure, first, or Philippians 1 verse 6, one of my life verses, I am confident. Say, I'm confident. It's kind of the opposite of insecure, right? I am confident of this very thing. He who began a good work in you will continue to bring it to perfection until the day of Christ Jesus. How many of you are not dead yet? then he's not done with you. And he is continuing the perfection process, the improvement process, the growth process, the refining process in you. Are you ever tempted to lie or lose your temper and, and sin in anger? All right, that was a little weak there, but... <laughs> Colossians chapter 3, but now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of Christ. So when you're a Christian, you put on the new me. Just tell your, out loud, say, I am the new me. Like you're becoming that until you die until you get to heaven. And when you're baptized, all right, that's why it's so significant. When we put you in the water, it's saying, I'm dying to the old me. I'm dying to my life of sin. And when you come up out of the water, I'm resurrected to the new me and new life in Christ. And so, man, if you have a problem with the truth, memorize that. You have a problem with losing your anger, your temper, your anger? You have a problem with abusive things that come out of your mouth? Memorize that and remind yourself of that and fight the temptation of that like Jesus did. If you're tempted to cheat, you can go to problems. If you're tempted to addictions, if you're tempted to gossip. Now, when I get to gossip, I want you to re-say this. There's a verse for that, but say it not like a declaration. Say it like a question, okay, like you're asking, okay? So you're tempted to gossip. Yeah. Because we, we tend to have like these big bad sins that we don't do. Like I don't kill people, so that's that, you know, and I'm okay. No, it even says in Colossians uh, 2 Corinthians verse 12, I am afraid that perhaps Paul said, when I come, I may find you not to be what I wish and may be found by you to, to not be what you wish, that perhaps there'll be strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. I and mean, he goes on and on and on. 
But boy, if that's you, there's a verse for that. Fight temptation like Jesus did. You'll be way more successful. Second thing about Jesus, he fought for his identity. I mean, imagine Jesus always having to watch what he said, surrounded by antagonists and people trying to trip him up and take him down. And questioning who he, he thinks he's the son of God. We're going we're gonna to show him. We're going we're gonna to dismantle him. We're going to tear him apart. And you look at Matthew chapter 16, the first couple of verses, they're basically challenging him. Well, if you're the son of God, do some tricks. Do a miracle. Prove it. And, and Jesus deflected that. But later in the chapter, it's like he's wanting to make sure his disciples aren't getting thrown by all this uh, tension. And so he says uh, in Matthew 16, verse 13, it says, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Jesus had to be very secure in who he was. I think we overestimate that that was not a challenge in spite of all the opposition around him. And you need to learn to be very secure in who you are in spite of all the opposition and tension that's around you. Uh, we have a song that we sing that says, I am a child of God. And if you're a follower of Christ, you are a child of God. Would you say, I am a child of God? Say it and put the emphasis on am. I am a child of God. Let's personalize it, son or daughter, whichever you are, say that. I am a of God. And boy, Satan hates that. Hates that song, hates that thought, and hates it when you believe it. Because when you believe it, you're going to have a greater sense of confidence in whose you are. You're going, to, you're going to have a greater ability to walk by faith and not by sight. Everything kind of falls in place when you are confident in your identity. And your identity as a child of God, would you repeat after me? I am loved. I am forgiven. I am gifted. And some of you are like, what's he talking about? If you're a Christian, the Bible says to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit, a gift of the Spirit for the common good. You've got talents and abilities God gave especially to you to accomplish what he wants you to do with your life. I am blessed to be a blessing. And boy, this is where it's so important to give thanks, have an attitude of gratitude, because if you are convinced, well, I got oh, my life's horrible, well, you to say, right? Okay. If that's you, you don't feel blessed, you're not going to be a blessing. We're at dinner with Monty Bush and his family Friday night who runs Victory Project, and they're planning to go on a missions trip again uh, now that we're way out of COVID. And he said, you know, it's, it's so good to take kids from the inner city, and they are exposed to poverty at a dimension that they never saw before. And it's amazing how they come back realizing how blessed and fortunate they are. You're blessed to be a blessing. So drop the negative pessimism, whatever, and, and be a blessing to other people. You'll find how good it is for you. As a child of God, say, I am full of hope. And some of you guys, a little voice inside, go, yeah, right. I think Christians should be the most hopeful people on the planet. After all, Paul says in Colossians that I have Christ within me, the hope of glory. And even when, when the world looks like it is falling apart and just going, which a lot of it is, and on our Wednesday night 
deeper dive except for this week of the prayer service. We're doing end times events and wow, end times are, we're in them. That's screaming at us. I'm still hopeful because I know the final outcome. As a child of God, I am full of hope. And say, as a child of God, say, I matter. Man, you do. I don't care who gave you the impression that you don't or why you think you're on the sidelines of life or of significance, but you matter to God. And all of those things, you have to fight for that because Satan will bombard you with lies, but that is the truth. And then outside of himself, Jesus fought for the least of these. And in this case, it's widows and orphans. Now, James wrote a book in the Bible, New Testament, five chapters long. James was not one of the 12 disciples. James was a half-brother of Jesus. They, Joseph, or Mary was their mother, but Joseph was his dad. And the Bible tells us that Jesus' siblings were slow in coming to believe in him. You know, he grew up with them. Yeah, right, son of God. Realized he was. And James became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And in this five-chapter book, he summarizes, he's kind of like a bottom-line guy, he summarizes the teaching of Jesus over and over again. And one thing that he said, having heard Jesus extensively, is in James chapter 1, verse 27. He says, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit, or other, other versions say care for, to care for orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Jesus cares about the least of these, about widows and orphans. And uh, you see that in one conversation in Matthew chapter 18. He says, whoever receives one child like this, we get a child with him, in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Listen to the harsh imagery that Jesus uses to express how angry he is, how vengeful he will be against those who would harm children. Our daughter works for the Tech Coalition and they fight child pornography online and the, the perversion and the atrocities online now being committed against children is horrific. And Jesus, and you look at what different legislation is trying to do to children and their own God-given, God-born identity and wanting to change that. And, and Jesus says the kind of vengeance waiting for people who would destroy a child's innocence is kind of like this. And I'll think for a moment, most of us probably follow with curiosity the sub that was going down with the Titanic and, you know, something went wrong and then it imploded and, and what a tragic death that was. That's one thing. But imagine, listen to the imagery Jesus uses. He didn't say go on a cruise ship. Let's go on a cruise ship in the Atlantic and let's get a, a, a concrete wheel about yay big and about that thick and a hole in the middle. Let's tie a huge rope around that and then tie that around your neck. And then we're going to heave you overboard. That's the kind of vengeance waiting for you. That's the kind of judgment. Jesus is a defender of the well-being of children. So as a church, one of the great opportunities God presented to us, we didn't really realize what it was going to become, but, you know, the nation we partner with in Africa, Swatini, 20% of that nation of a million people are AIDS orphans. And so that's why we reach out extensively to them and, and we send 600,000 meals over there every year and we've built 30 churches there to help care for them and, and then we provide for their grandmothers who are typically widows. They call them go-go's. And so we're caring for widows and orphans in distress there and that's wonderful. But let's also come back across the ocean. You've probably got widows in your neighborhood where you work. Somehow you know them. And, and 
In New Testament times, being a widow or an orphan was a financial death sentence. There was no social security. There was no safety net. You either knew people or you died. Well, most orf widows, at least, have social security and retirement or insurance, whatever, but, but they still have emotional needs, relational needs. Can you, can you take one to lunch or buy her some flowers or show her that you care or, hey, call me if you need something? And orphans, at the very least, you know, a single parent child who doesn't have a mom or a dad, just one parent or in foster care or whatever, what can you do to open your heart and your life to care for the least of these? Jesus fought for them. Next. Jesus fought fear. I had to really think about that before I made it a point and I thought, okay, is that biblically accurate that Jesus felt fear? He was afraid. And if Paul tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin, and when you read the account, it sure sounds like, feels like fear. But he didn't sin in his fear. And so it was the day before he died, night before he died, Jesus living in New Testament Israel, they were under the domination of the Roman Empire. And one of the great ways the Roman Empire kept everybody in line to behave, they just made a public example of those who didn't. And the Romans perfected crucifixion as a way of death. And I'm sure Jesus walked by people who had been nailed to a cross and had been tortured to death and their bodies hung there. Walking by that is a great reminder, stay in line. And the night before he was tortured to death on a cross through crucifixion, Jesus had supper with his disciples who didn't realize what was coming. He did. They left that dinner and then went out for prayer in a garden. And in that garden, in Matthew 26, then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. It's the garden. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, his closest disciples. And he began to be grieved and distressed. You, you unpack grieved and distressed. It feels a lot like fear. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. This is about to kill me. I can hardly bear this. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and he fell on his face and he prayed saying, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Dad, I don't want to do this. I'm at the precipice and I see what's ahead of me tomorrow. I do not want to do this. Yet not as I will, but as you will. He could have, he could have yielded to that. He could have not said, not as I will, as you will. He could have said, Dad, I want out. And Jesus even said, I could, I could call a legion of angels to take me off this cross. And he could have. He could have tapped out at any time. And I believe the Father would have done it. But instead, he fought that fear. He fought through that fear. And he had the courage for us. Courage is not an absence of fear. Courage is having fear and doing the right thing anyway. Talked to Jim Davern after first, first service when we showed that and he'd been in some pretty intense situations. And I'm not sure you're not fearless when you're in those places. No, you have fear, but you have the courage to fight through it. Jesus had fear and he fought through it and he fought that fear. And so I ask you the question, what are you afraid of? And stuff popped in your mind. 
Is it something relational you're afraid of? Is it physical? Financial? Are you afraid of that, that inside will never get to what you want it to be? Are you afraid of your past? Are you afraid of the future? Are you afraid of what's coming? Whatever fear you have, Again, you have to fight that temptation with Scripture as well. Psalm 27, verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When I realize that, that God cares about me and I'm living my life for Him, in Him, then, then I can persevere through it. In Isaiah chapter 40, or 41 rather, the words of the prophet, that God speaks through the prophet to His people, they ring true and reassuring across the centuries of time. God said, I have chosen you and not rejected you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Notice it doesn't say, surely I will remove everything causing you fear. Surely I will detour you around what you are dreading. No. But I'll uphold you and I will be with you with my right hand. Now this isn't a real theological example, but when I was reading that, uh, I thought of yesterday morning. Joyce had gone to work out at the rec center and I took a bike ride and uh, the one time the weathermen were correct, <laughs> I didn't get my bike ride done. I had to turn around in the rain. Uh, but I got home before she did and it was thundering and little Lulu was petrified. I mean, that poor thing was just shaking like this. And so I, I just scooped her up in my right hand and I pulled her close and she was just trembling, you know, and I was petting her and I, I whispered, Daddy's home. <laughs> but in a few moments, she calmed down. And you have a heavenly father that can scoop you up in his right hand and say, Dad's here. You're going to be okay. I'm going to see you through this. And sometimes he takes us around it. Sometimes we go through hell and high water. But he will strengthen you. He will uphold you. And, and you will persevere through your fears. And the last thing is he fought for you. That same context. Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews verse chapter 11, the author is looking back on all the, all the saints of the Old Testament and, and of those times who, who fought a good fight of faith and did amazing things, went through horrific things, but they kept their faith. And so he's trying to encourage the believers then and encourages us now. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Imagine the imagery there. It was explained to me in my undergrad studies, it's kind of like when you're at the Olympics and there's the, the, the marathon. The marathon, 20-something miles, okay? And the end of the marathon, the runners come and you can see them running up to this Olympic stadium and they run their last lap in the Olympic stadium. And my professor said, that cloud of witnesses is like they're gathered in that stadium. All the, all the saints of Scripture, the loved ones that you know who are no longer with us, they've died and they've gone to heaven. 
They're all in that great cloud of witnesses cheering us on saying, don't quit. You can make it. Persevere. Keep going. Come on. And he says, consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself so you will not grow weary and lose heart. Persevere. Don't quit. Keep fighting. The Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, he writes to his young protege, Timothy. You can tell the, the sense of satisfaction he has. He says, Timothy, I'm about done. The time of my departure is clear. It's close. And he says, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, not just for me, but everyone who has loved is appearing and has persevered. And he said, I have, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course and I've kept the faith. And friend, you might not have lived long enough, but you're going to find if you live, live long enough that life is a battle. It is a fight. It is a race to run and it requires endurance. Don't quit. Keep fighting. As he says here, lay aside every encumbrance, every distraction, lay it aside. They come in abundance. And every sin that so easily, it is so easy to sin. Keep cutting it off. Keep putting it aside and keep focusing. Keep your eyes on Jesus, on no one else. And you'll persevere step by step, day by day, and you will have victory. And so all that surrounding the end of Christ's life, what he did before the Garden of Gethsemane at that dinner was they had the Lord's Supper. And so we're going to close with that today. And uh, hopefully you received communion elements when you came in. If not, if you'll raise your hand, a section leader will get these to you. If you need the bread and the cup, raise it up. There's back there, over here, kind of spread all across. And maybe in the stadium seats, just wave at them until they see you. And let me read for you how the Gospel of Matthew records this. It says, While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he'd taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This celebration of communion we see open to every believer, every follower of Christ. And Jesus said, I want you to do this. I want you to eat a piece of bread. I want you to drink from a cup and remember me. Remember that I fought for you. Remember that uh, I fought temptation and I succeeded. I fought for my identity, who I was, and I, and I, pre I prevailed. I fought for the least of these. I, I fought through fear and I fought for you. So before we take the bread and the cup, I'm going to ask you to bow your head with me. And before I pray, what battles are you facing in your life? What struggles are there? And maybe they're cause for fear. Maybe it questions you at your very identity. You don't know if you feel loved or forgiven or gifted or whatever the case might be. Would you just take a moment and, and allow yourself a spiritual daydream and imagine victory in that area of your life? Imagine it different. Imagine it healed or restored. Imagine it fulfilling. 
or at the very least, imagine yourself having persevered in spite of that all along the way, keeping your eyes on Jesus and someday standing before Christ and he smiles and says, way to persevere, well done. Either way, picture yourself victorious, not defeated. And Jesus, we thank you that as the Apostle Paul reminds us, we're more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. And we are because of what you did for us on the cross. We are loved. We are forgiven, gifted, blessed to be a blessing, full of hope, and we matter to you. So we thank you. We remember you. And in your name, we take the bread and the cup together. Let's do that. Take the bread and the cup. And now I invite you to stand with us and sing this final declaration that we are no longer slaves to fear because we are a child of God.